Welcome to a special edition of the Salty Investors. Today we've got um, Larry Jemison and he's from Buyback Capital. And I've been following his work on his website and YouTube channel. Um, some really good information about markets and especially quality companies. And on Twitter, you can follow him and he's got over 7,000 followers there. So it's really good. Um, yeah, and I'm just impressed to have him because he's under 30 as well. Who would have thought someone with this sort of knowledge would um, <laughs> be under 30, but um, here we go. And um, yeah, I just want to get right into it and just um, want to get a bit of a background and how do you sort of come to this understanding in your financial knowledge, Larry? Uh, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, sure. So like I, we were talking a little bit before, but um, my dad was a, a real estate developer and a business owner around Queensland and um, in New South Wales as well. And so from a very early stage, um, he's always talking about, you know, the stock market and, you know, real estate deals and, and stuff like that. So that was kind of a staple in the household. And so um, I can remember, you know, when I was like in high school or something like that, uh, dad mentioned uh, Berkshire Hathaway to me. And I remember it was around about the time we were doing like a, I don't know if you did this, but the share market trading game oh, where yeah, you like, yeah. you know, you did that eight weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, he uh, he's like, oh, you should check out this um, company over in the United States. And I saw that the share price was like eighty, ninety thousand dollars at the time. And usually, you don't see share prices that high. So I was really like, um, I was like, wow. Um, but yeah, so um, uh, you know, ever since a young age, I've had a bit of a bit of an interest in this. Um, you know, during uni, I think a lot of people um, you know save up a few thousand bucks and they punt CFDs and yep. Yeah, I, I did a bit of that and the, oh, okay. yeah, the, long, yeah, yeah. the long short equity and the global macro kind of approach. And um, uh, a bit later on, I, I got pretty interested in um, uh, complex option spreads on um, on uh, the broad-based indexes and the index futures um, over in the States. And uh, my dad and some of my family put in some money for that. And um, like we did pretty well, but I never really, um, it never really made sense to me like why um, you know, like where the returns were being generated from, uh, like momentum or um, back-tested strategies or any of that kind of stuff. Never, it never, it ne I could never have conviction in why this was going to be a kind of uh, long-term strategy that could um, generate uh, returns. And then, you know, about 2018, 19, I uh, found like Manish Prabhai on YouTube okay. and yeah. kind of a a bit of a renaissance in uh, the YouTube uh, finance community that had all these great interviews coming out and like the, the good investing guy and, you know, all this, all this good yeah. stuff. And so it was kind of like a value um, renaissance for me. And then, yeah, I've just kind of been um, trying to manage in a, my, my own money in a kind of Buffett-esque type way, if you will, um, ever since. So that's kind of my short journey. So who do you, sort of follow in this sort of area now? Who do you respect and, you know, who do you look up to as like an investor that you can, that's giving alpha, you know? Not like, yeah, obviously Buffett, but obviously someone outside that as well, hopefully there's someone you sort of like that people would know, I guess. Yeah, sure. So I think like, um, you know, like, just like you said, it's pretty trite, but, um, hmm. um, you know, Buffett and Munger are obviously like the, the cornerstone. Um, there's been... Uh, some interesting other people that um, probably in the last two or three years, like their uh, investor letters have come to light and you've been able to 
Like I remember looking for Nick Sleep's letters like four or five years ago and you could never find them. Mm -hmm. And there were like threads on Wall Street Oasis being like, has anyone got a copy of this? (laughs) And just couldn't find it. But um, I I, I didn't mind um, Nick Sleep's letters. They were good. Um, uh, Rob Vanal of RV Capital, he he puts all his stuff. He's in um, investor meeting and... He's done a few good interviews as well. I, I really liked him. Um, I think you're a Terry Smith yes. uh, kind of kind of guy. Yeah, uh, um, like Terry. Uh, okay. um, yeah. And um, you know the Sequoia Fund that they, they put out um, some quarterly um, uh, recordings and stuff like that. And they, uh, and I've had a lot of um, crossover in the type of companies that I've um, liked and the kind of companies that. Um, that they've invested in as well. So kind of like that. And there's a great guy called um, Dev Kantasaria and he hasn't done many interviews. I think he's got a couple of interviews on YouTube and okay. I did a few like um, CNBC appearances and he's like a, a Buffett quality purist in the, in the true sense of the word. And I really enjoyed um, his stuff too. Okay. Well, that's, you know, interesting. Um, yeah. I'm in a similar type field, but obviously, you know, everybody, got their own little areas that they stick into but so what sort of metrics and qualitative and quantitative are you sort of looking for in a company nowadays like obviously it's evolved over the years um i I can't imagine you doing net nets and things like that but you know um maybe i don't know what are you sort of what are you into at the moment and what are you sort of looking for in a company when you're trying to purchase something here and sell something yeah sure um uh, I think we had a, we had a bit of a yeah, you had a bit of a look at the checklist that I put on my blog, and I, I probably should update that um, uh, now uh, because, uh, like over the last probably eighteen months, um, I've really been trying to refine down the parameters um, that I'd be looking for in a in a company that I want to invest in. So I think we've had probably a bit of um, bit of crossover in terms of like you know Facebook or maybe a bit of a position in Alibaba. Or I think you said. Red bubble as well. I think we're both <laughs> in the red bubble sin bin. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a bit, um, bit nasty that one. But mm-hmm. yeah, and that's a great. That was a great learning opportunity mm-hmm. um, for me. I feel like a probably like if you make a few of those mistakes earlier on, um, that might save you a lot of money later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, chalking that one up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, really, the two types of things and. Um, uh, and, and Buffett talks about this a lot is, um, you know, the, the two, the, the first vector that makes a really great business, the, the, the fabulous business is a pricing power. Mm-hmm. And the, um, and naturally the second type of thing you'd want to look for is volume growth. And, um, you know, those things can be obscured. They can be uh, uh, coming online. There can be, you know, there's never, there are very few companies where both pricing power and volumes are just yeah. uh, up and to the right every year. So there's uh-huh. different, although there are some companies like that. And I think you might, you might be a fan of FICO. They're a good yeah. example of someone who's doing pretty well on both of those accounts, but um, that's the type of thing. And those two qualities really lead into um, the, you know, a lot of the characteristics that people look for, which would be high return on um, tangible equity and high return mm-hmm. on assets and, um, Obviously, in a situation like that, those are companies that generate a lot of excess cash, and um, uh, uh, some portion of that cash can be redeployed within the business. Usually, so, you know, some amount of cash. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like in the in the sort of Coca Cola type investments or Gillette, 
um, that Buffett did in the past. Um, there was he, he would usually say there's some amount of cash that they can reinvest into the business, but um, the reinvestment opportunity was not unlimited. So mm-hmm. they'd have a lot of excess cash and then um, you're trying to figure out what management's going to do and sometimes management doesn't do what you want them to do with the cash. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that's where the capital allocation piece and that's where management's really important. The companies that I would like to invest more in um, would not actually need probably um, incredibly talented management. Um, the management would need to have integrity and um, a reasonable capital allocation framework. Yeah. Um, but kind of looking for the the great business qualities to be institutionalized, not they don't mm. need Buffett or yes. Jobs or someone like that to really like, you know, turn this mm-hmm. from zero to one. Yeah. Um, obviously, so I guess that they're, kind of... they're a little bit expensive, these companies. So like you, you're not going to pick these ever up cheap. You know, you're not, these are always going to be, you know, the market sees this as well. So how are you sort of balancing that, you know, the quality versus the, you know, the, the, valuation type metric that you're trying to get in here how do you sort of balance those two yeah and that's that's like the whole game isn't it um (laughs) so i i guess on the on the buy decisions you're looking for um you you might look for these qualities and um it might take you and and usually what i found is following them for a, a, a decent period of time yeah after you've heard it so you hear about the company have a look and you might think oh that's this actually looks quite interesting. Yep. Um, and then you follow it for six months, a year, whatever it is. I won't say I've followed things for multiple years because that'll push me back. <laughs> Maybe back before I was taking this very seriously. But um, um, you, you, are, you are looking for those qualities and then you're looking for, um, you're looking for value in the future. So like if we take um, the FICO example, which I'm a pretty big fan of, in, in 2000, you could have purchased that company for um, 50 times forward earnings. And um, if you'd held that from the peak of the sort of uh, 2000 top till now, you'd probably compounded your money in the high teens, which would have been a perfectly uh, good good result. Um, yes. You would have had some pretty nasty drawdowns in that time period, but you, you also, the long-term returns of, of the company were pretty good. And the, the bottom line is that the, the value is in the future. Yes. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's pretty well known, or relatively well known now that in, 2018 that company had a uh, had a step change in its pricing powers so it renegotiated the special pricing contracts with the credit bureaus um which essentially until amount of economic goodwill in their product and um Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't being monetized and so over time the new management were able to chuck on the pricing power and then uh, i didn't even know that they had cpi plus special pricing so like you know that's why you've seen the kind of huge run up in the company this year because that was quite underappreciated as well and then you know they can also take those earnings and uh, you know lever up the balance sheet and repurchase a a tremendous amount of shares even at um, what would what would be a very high valuation so the um the the point there is really trying to print out um uh, you know these kind of extra normal growths in operating income or free cash flow per share or earnings per share over a multi-year period and if you go on to, uh, if you look at consensus earnings for some of these companies, um, usually the analysts will put a, a consensus, um, you know, EPS number or revenue numbers, et cetera, out for the next five years. And most of the time, the analysts will assume that uh, the company will return to uh, normal growth 
you know, maybe GDP or GDP plus a few percent after that. And, um, you know, uh, the reason why a Moody's has done so well over the same years in the same veins is that it kept up this extraordinary yeah. free cash flow EPS growth uh, for, for like 10 years, so 10, 10 years. And you could have paid, you know, because when Moody's was spun out of, um, I forget the company now, uh, it was spun out in the early 2000s. And you can read a value investors club right up on the spin out. And um, so it would have been an excellent time to buy. And the first comment um, was, how can you justify buying this at 33 mm -hmm. times forward earnings? Yes. And that's the whole answer. If you had known that there was going to be this incredible value creation over a multi-decade period, even with the worst blow up in the industry ever, like they were essentially selling poison product in 2008 and nine. Yep. Um, and, and they would, they would just keep going just um, despite that. And, that was even um, maybe even like a catalyzing period for them because they got out of a whole lot of yeah. poor returning elements of their business. So um, I would say that's the first element. Like quite, sometimes you'll find a business that is just excellent. And if you can have a lot of conviction that they will create a lot of value um, in the future, that can be an opportunity and you'll get downdrafts. So like um, plenty of people on Twitter uh, thought this or and on Value Investors Club too thought the shares were interesting um, yep. November 2021, and then uh, I think it was like the April or the June of 2022, it got down to $350 a share, and that turned out to be 17 times forward free, um, free cash flow per share, which um, that's a pretty good deal because uh, mm. they've been growing. And like the, the the special pricing element, right, you can see that going for a long time, like a long, 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 long time. The, the average um, score pull, so if you just take their revenue and you divide it by how many scores they return in a given year, mm -hmm. it's, it's something like $13. The company says it's more like seven. So there's a bit of a discrepancy there. I feel like on some mortgage um, score pools, they okay. may be charging like hundreds of dollars. So I don't, don't want to get uh, to the weeds there, but mm -hmm. um, uh, it's like $13 on closing costs of 3000 on a mortgage of half a million. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That could go on for quite some time. Um, and so, you know, you can, you can get a bit of conviction there that this company may have, you know, maybe mid twenties free cash flow per share growth it, on a very, you know, bullish assumption on a, on a low end assumption, you might get special pricing of, you know, 10 and you might get CPI and maybe the new CPI is four and they retired 10% of their shares last year. So that oh, is no. a number that gets hit at 24%. <laughs> And maybe they can't repurchase 10% of the shares every year, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe it's five and, you know, 19 is still a perfectly good number. Um, and then on the, you know, the other end of the spectrum, because I know you've had a look at the portfolio and I've invested in um, credit acceptance since the end yeah. of uh, 2020, which has been a very um, amusing ride. Um, but the, the bottom line with that company is that it's, um, yeah, I, uh, X of the, um, extrinsic legal risks that face the company at any time um it's traded at a remarkably low valuation um and they just retire so many shares um and the company is the the um the uh the reason why the investment will work if it does work is because they are simply able to return a tremendous amount of cash to the shareholders because the price is so low and so in that instance it would be like a Price is its own catalyst. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, uh -huh. Price so is its own catalyst. Uh -huh. Like if you take if you take the end of twenty um, 
take the end of 2020, and this is when the Massachusetts attorney's case, uh, attorney general's case came out. It was a big thing at the time, and the shares were off like 30% in one day. Um, the company now, even though the share price is higher, the, sh- the per share price is higher today, the market cap was higher then. Okay. And that just kind of shows you, like, if they produce the cash and they return it to you, like, well, that's a well, bad news. really big delta. It's yeah. pretty good for the long term. If they buy them back at a lower price, you know, yeah, you know, you're sort of you're retiring at a lower price. That's what you want to do over a long period of time. You want them to retire at a low PE if you possibly can, and then you know just keep compiling. You know, so so long as the business gets better over a kind of fight, or even stays the same. I mean, NVR is a good example. Yes, yeah. of that NVR was a business. AutoZone, you know, another classic. Yes, exactly the same fit. book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're fairly stable. The, the, the EPS growth has largely come from a levered buyback program. Um, obviously, in AutoZone's case, they actually had quite a bit of expansion, but in an, in an NVR, they've had some expansion too. But mm-hmm. like in this whole period, they had the worst catastrophe in US housing right in the middle. And yeah. Tremendous value creation. So, um, you know, British American Tobacco or the, uh, or the um, tobacco companies might fall into a, a thing like this where literally the price is so low the capital being returned is uh, you, you'll get your return from from capital being returned to shelves. It's just a lot tougher, you know. Like it's a, you know, compared to your other investments, it's just a very you know you got to keep your eye on the ball here and watch it closely. Well, you know, FICO, you know, if I went to sleep for ten years, you know, I would just wouldn't care at all. But you know, each for the I know you're a bit younger and you can handle a little bit more and you got a bit of a background <laughs> in this sort of area, so you can handle a little bit more pain, but. Yeah, yeah, it's just might be good to balance it as well. Like, yeah, you got a bit of value there as well. So, so I'm not I, sure I, I definitely, yeah, I definitely think I would not invest in a um, in a credit acceptance um, again. Even though I do think it's a, a wonderful company, and um, I think um, generally lending uh, businesses are not uh, they. Uh, they probably go broke at some point, even though they probably do create, they probably have periods of extraordinary returns and credit acceptance at 50 years, you know, without a okay. bankruptcy, it's, yes. it's a remarkable achievement for what, <laughs> for what they've done. Um, but I mean, Buffett only really invests in lending institutions that are banks and he does that because they're FDIC insured and there's no chance of him losing money. Yeah. And he has got a float, you know, he's, playing with a little bit more money than you. So, you know, um, a bit hard to play in this area for us normal mortals. Um, so how do you sort of structure your portfolio? And do you ever go, oh yeah, I've got a special situation. I'm going to jump out of this discipline and go after, like I went after Barber, you know, thinking I'm a smart ass here and falling mm-hmm. knives and, you know, it's coming back a little bit, but, you know, it's hurt me a little bit, but do you ever jump out of your sort of discipline here or are you going to, Keep a bit more of a rigid discipline going forward. What are your What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, so um, I, I really want to um, just be a quality uh, purist. That's um, okay. uh, and the FICO end of quality, if you will. So, oh. like FICO is, um, or, or even a Verisign, um, a Moody, something like that. Um, they're probably as close to uh, perfection as, as you're going to get. Like if you're going to if you're going to say like, well, what's the perfect company? It would be a company that uh, has one employee who's the CEO and 
<laughs> has some intangible quality that gets distributed magically, right? And mm-hmm. every year people want more of it. And every year you can raise pricing CPI plus 15. And yep. every year all of the cash is put into a levered buyback. And like, you, you, and you know, there are no expenses. And the CEO has like his whole net worth in the company. And so um, like, you get, that's pretty, cl- like you're pretty close. That's probably mm-hmm. as close as you're going to get. I mean, VeriSign's a good example. Obviously yeah. it doesn't have the extreme pricing power, but mm-hmm. That's kind of where I want to um, get more to. And that's, you know, where, where Buffett made a lot of his very large, yes, uh, very large money um, in places like that. I, I do have a fairly large position in Amazon as well. And so um, I'm, I'm partial to the uh, complex uh, vertically integrated monopoly. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you need to have a pretty high barrier um, mm-hmm. for, for quality on that end. You need to have a handle on the durability i have um invested in like a deep value situations before so okay uh, through COVID, i owned a, a couple of um uh, canadian enps and they were sitting on like um proven gas reserves of maybe six times the share price um okay wow and so, yeah they ex- and some of these existed in 2019 uh, incidentally um you could have had a had a look around the United States and like the 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 um, uh, gas and petroleum EMPs oh, yeah. hated like hated with a passion cheap. yeah hated oh. with a passion. <laughs> you seen the share price? It's just like since twenty fourteen, just straight down yep. year after year after year after year. Um, and so like you could have just put like a basket bet on some of those, and you would have done perfectly yes. well. So. I've done a I've done a bit of that. Um, it's not that interesting to me. I'm not that interested in um, spin-offs or special okay. sits or, um, um, you know, like Charlie Munger says, like the the, the biggest win in investing is uh, the person who uh, figures out the future and then gets rich sitting on his ass. So um, that that would be my preferred <laughs> mode of uh, wealth generation. Uh, th- th- there's nothing wrong with the net nets or something like that. I think it's a lot more active approach um, to investing and. Yeah. Um, uh, p- perhaps you need to like uh, in in law school. I hated all the reading. Like I just was not like the minute detail. I just wasn't. Okay. For me. I don't work in the law. I wasn't that successful as it. I had, um, but um, that kind of uh, approach does not um, yep. really suit oh. my personality. Stick with the winners, mate. That's what I'm sort of thinking a bit now. And you know, and got this momentum thing. You know that. Factor investing, if you understand any of that, you sort of go, oh, what's this thing going on here? And, you know, what, there's a couple of advantages, you know, in this type of thinking, but you've got to get it right. If you get it wrong, you're in a world of pain. So, yeah. Um, so just wondering, you know, does macro at all fit into your sort of discipline here or you're sort of, you know, a purist, you said, you know, and you're not supposed to be looking at macro, but, you know, I sort of, you know, I... I do factor it in a little bit, you know, there's a time to play, you know, if you only got a little bit of money, you know, you've got to tranche it in, you know, um, here a little bit, you can't just willingly go in all the time. Um, so yeah, what do you sort of think on macro or you don't play it at all? Or what do you think? What do you think of me? Yeah, I think macro is um, very interesting, but um, macro forecasting is, uh, in my experience, it, it's the purpose of it is to make um, fortune tellers look good. <laughs> so right. I think it's 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 very interesting. It's great to chat about, and you know, like everyone in Australia likes to, you know, the, the national pastime is speculating on what the RBA is going to do next and uh-huh. uh, what residential house prices are going to be like, and and that's all good fun and stuff like that. I don't uh, think it's that in. Um, I haven't found it that useful 
okay. um, in um, in in investing. And in, in any case, I'm probably not good at, it, at forecasting it. And the um, you know the real thing we're trying to keep our our eye on in investing is trying to buy uh, future cash flows at yeah. the lowest possible price that we can. Um, so be my general. Um, I, th- I I think it's um it's very useful to think about what might happen. So um, um, you can definitely come to a come to a, a pretty good understanding of what will happen in the future. Um, the hard part is just when. Mm-hmm. And so when you're underwriting risks in your um in the shares that you own, um, it's probably good to look back in history and say, um, you know, and this might be different from industry from industry, but it's quite interesting to say, oh, what happened to credit volumes in 2008 and yes. nine? What happened mm-hmm. to this business in 2008 and nine? Or, you know, there was a large, I think there was a large retail recession in Australia in 2014. Um, like a lot of the shares peaked then and they sort of came off. And mm-hmm. um, or, or if you're an energy investor or something, that'd be very interesting to see um, what happened to businesses post 2014 when the um, sort of super, they, they, they were saying the super cycle was ending, oh, yeah. but kind of come back now. Um, <laughs> So I think that would be very informative um, as a historical, um, okay. you know, exercise to, to check out that. But it doesn't really. Um, not uh, I'm not trying to um, uh, use macro as an entry point. Okay. Um, if you will. So you're not keeping any cash, and you're fully invested. You'd like to keep it that way because, you know, like we've had 30 years of interest rates only going one direction, and you think, well, you know multiples might get a little bit of compression here at some some stage. I don't know, you know, it could be all talk. So what are you thinking? Yeah, you... I, um, it's a really good question. I think the, um, um, if, you're, if you're focused on uh, companies that can, um, and, and I'm not a big fan of inorganic growth. Um, I think that can be um, helpful um, at various points because, um, you know, maybe you can make a belt bolt on acquisition here and there, but I generally mm-hmm. think the people who have uh, uh, made their fortune through very r- large roll-ups are probably either, either madmen or geniuses. Um, and there are very few geniuses. Yeah. Uh, so um, if you're focused on companies that are generating a lot of cash um, and they have good reinvestment opportunities and good capital allocation structures, and they can grow their, you know, EPS and free cash flow per share by, um, you know, when it's all factored in, you know, high teens or maybe even low twenties, um, and mm-hmm. you've got a long runway in front of you there, that will overcome a lot of um, multiple contraction. Okay. Um, so really, the you want to nail, you want to be very sure about the business, mm-hmm. um, and then the, the lack of business risk and its strong financial performance will probably be the best shield you'll have against um, declining. Um, uh, share values or, or perhaps even a declining economy. If you can find businesses that are um, not acyclical, but um, strong secular growth and mm-hmm, uh, yes. don't, don't, don't tend to be levered to the business cycle. That's probably one of the better places you can uh, hang out. Oh yeah. You speaking like Terry Smith, you know, I think you get along <laughs> with him very well. That's sort of, that's what he talks exactly, but he knows he's going to get a little bit of hurt here, you know, coming into it. So, um, but if you can look through that, um, you've got that quality business, it's going to hold you through. So. Yeah, I, I definitely think as the equity, the, um, the, the returns for equity investors will um, trounce every other asset class over a lifetime. I think um, that that's just maths. Yep. Um, the, the, the magic of equities is that they produce something and then they can also take that um, production and then 
the compounding process can happen. They can reinvest it. So that's really the, the genius of equities. But the price we pay as equity investors is that several times in our lifetime, we will have very large drawdowns. Um, and that's just the price um, you pay mm -hmm. for um, participating in this uh, wonderful game. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So just so sounds like you're pretty much setting your ways here. Do you see your uh, process evolving over the next couple of years or you, you think you're going to stick with this for five years or you're going to wait and see, or what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Ideally, I'd like to stick like this forever. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah, like yeah. to sell any of my companies and they all just go up, but I don't think that will happen. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, the general framework is always there, but um, as in, um, like, you know, uh, the people who have been successful over multi-decades mm -hmm. have um, found opportunities in um, different, places over time and so that, that's fairly well documented with Buffett you know started yeah. off as the net net special search control situations and then sort of migrated ever so slowly to the better quality companies and and he kind of was doing preferreds and um, mm -hmm. you know then whole acquisitions and then get, gets all these like sweetheart deals because he's um, America's grandfather or something like that now yeah. um, so and and so I, I think um, you know the the the, the um, the North star of the value investor is to go where the value is. Um, and that might be in, in unusual places, but I think um, that those kind of first principles will, um, will kind of stay the same, but uh, over a lifetime, you know, the, I feel like um, the, the business environment today is remarkably different than it was 20 years ago and mm. probably remarkably different than it was 40 years before that. So got to keep learning, keep moving. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it sounds like you're open to something, you know, um, but yeah, if you've got that basis there that you, you know, I don't think you need to look too far. If you can understand quality, you know, I don't think you really need to look that far and just got to hold through. Um, yeah. So that's all I really wanted to go over. Um, yeah. Where's people can best follow you online. And I know you are really active on Twitter. Um, <laughs> crazily amount on Twitter. Like that just blows my mind how much work you put into that. But I see you started a sub stack as well. So where, where would you like people yeah. to follow you? No worries. So you nailed it. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at, um, at Larry Jamison underscore and then the tags buyback capital. Um, and yeah, there's a Substack. Um, Substack's of the same name and um, you can, can find me. There's a link on my profile. Um, and yeah, there's a YouTube channel. I try to put out some videos when I can. I haven't been as disciplined on that lately because um, life gets in the way. Um, but yeah, that's 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 pretty much where you can find me. My Twitter is not for the faint of heart, so um, it's not PG. Um, and yeah, Twitter's a battlefield, so <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. come prepared. Yeah, yeah, it's very entertaining. I'm just like, wow, this guy's like into so many areas here, and you know some wonderful people like on Twitter, and um, yeah, some of the conversations you're having I on there. I've got to tell you, Twitter is like the most magical platform on the planet. Like. It's, it's the only place where a 20-something-year-old living in Queensland can interact directly with the where, – where the CEO of a large publicly traded company would reach out to you. I know. Uh, like, it's, it's a magical forum. Yeah. And it's great that you see you're doing well. And that 7,000 followers is just, you know, for an under 30, you know, who – wasn't educated in finance, who's like out there swinging it with the big boys. Uh, yeah, it's really good to see. Um, yeah, so I just want to thank Larry for his time. Yeah, much appreciated having you on. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to do over the next couple of years. Um, hopefully, it's not as eventful 
like you know your quality investor is supposed to be very boring type type lifestyle so <laughs> well that... uh, ironically uh, brisbane is uh, i've been told um is like the omaha of the southern oh, hemisphere okay there's a couple of um there's a couple of interesting guys as a um um, the uh, the gains fund. I, I forget what the gentleman's first name is, but he's run a pretty long dated value um, quality fund. He lives in New Farms, yes. a few, few oh. blocks down from me. Um, and um, yeah, there's a couple of other guys like who live around Macrobat and stuff like that are here. Um, don't don't get out to see them, but apparently mm-hmm. we're in, we're in the Omaha of the Southern Hemisphere. So where yeah, else yeah. would you want to be? I know. Yeah, it's just yeah nice to see someone local. You know, really giving it a shot. And so, what are you? plans in the future you know like have you you're thinking of fun you think you're gonna move into finance somewhere here or you what are you thinking of doing with your your knowledge here you know you're just going to run private <laughs> money here or you what what are you um yeah, for the future yeah i think um i think uh finance is a really great hobby but it would probably be a not a very fun um, profession. Uh, I haven't worked in it, so I don't really know. Um, I, I, I do think um, a lot of my friends on Twitter who um, live in New York or, or around New York and um, some of my friends who live down in Sydney, they're, um, um, they're very uh, interested in um, things that I just don't care about. Like, um, you know, they're very interested in what everyone's comp's going to be this year and what their oh, bonus is going to be okay. in the car yeah. and the, uh-huh. and I just couldn't care less. <laughs> so um, I think, um, I think the, sorry, the gentleman from the gains fund, he's figured out, he gets to live in Brisbane and, and, and run some money for his family and friends. And I think that's uh, maybe an aspirational goal um, okay. down the line, but I, I really enjoy what I do for a job. And I, I like, um, I like being able to do this as a hobby. I, it's, um, it's a lot of fun. It's a good life. Yep. Oh, I think you got the right attitude there. Um, yeah, trying to <laughs> do it as a living. I think, you know, quarter to quarter, you know, I think would be fairly nasty. So yeah, I think that's great. And yeah, I just want to thank you again. And yeah, I'll put some links below for where you can follow Larry. And yeah, appreciate it, mate. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun.